From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Play action. Here's Carr looking left, firing. Touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Hunter Renfro, first to score! It's Jacobs, cuts over to the left, slashes back, breaks free, crosses the 30, has a first down, ladies and gentlemen, with 30 seconds left in overtime. They're in Daniel Carlson territory. This game was really a microcosm of what the season was. A lot of ups and downs, but found a way to kind of persevere, found a way to keep a field goal at the end of the game to win it. Jackpot, baby! Let's go to Cincinnati! Yeah, baby! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, Brent doing it up. Raiders flipping the script on uh, many Las Vegans. They make the playoffs. How about that? They make the playoffs. Awesome calls from uh, Brent and Lincoln over on 92.3 Comp and uh, also 920 AM Raider Nation Radio. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Ari's in our Finley Toyota Studios. Expected to come in today and probably start talking about who may be the next coach of the Raiders. But, man, they made it tough. It was dramatic. The game was tremendous. The entire nation was glued to their TV sets. We had all the tie nonsense that everyone got all fired up about. And then, uh, of course, let it linger into the postgame, which we'll get into a little bit later on but the Raiders are in the Raiders are in they're going to Cincinnati they get to play the easier of the potential opponents anyone out there who thinks that uh, the Chiefs were the target for the Raiders you're a moron uh come on let's uh we can break that down in a little bit but Jesus yes the Bengals did beat the Raiders but the game was 13-6 going to the fourth quarter and the Raiders kind of fell apart Raiders were barely in the game uh, both of the games against the Chiefs so here we are playoffs how awesome is this playoffs for a Las Vegas NFL team. Let's do it. It's Trending at 2, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Well, Willie, I expected to come in and go through a long list of uh, what happened on Black Monday, and that would include the speculation that the Raiders would be moving on from Rich Basaccia, but we got a whole new ball game now. Uh, just to update people on uh, what happened today around the NFL, the Vikings cleared the decks both the GM and the coach, Mike Zimmer, go. Bears did the same thing with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, their GM. Shockingly, the Giants keep Joe Judge but force their GM into retirement. Gettleman's gone. Fangio went bye-bye yesterday, and then uh, the one that surprised a lot of people is Brian Flores is now available as the Dolphins, after a 9-8 and season, decided to dump Brian Flores. Now, the cool thing here is Basaccia avoided – the pink slip by doing what almost no one outside of this show thought was possible. Right, Willie? How many times have we talk about it down the stretch? Of course they could win out. Of course they could go 4-0. Of course, as Steve Cofield said, the day the schedule came out, back in May, the Raiders went 10-7. and Yeah! Yeah! They did it, Willie. They did it in incredible fashion. They did. The only thing that I didn't do today was – uh, go back and find the show that we did our predictions. And as you love when I do tell Ari to pull down from me predicting that day, you, me, and Adam were in the studio saying the Raiders would get in as a wild card team. Um, 
let me but it's funny the way that you present the black monday firings and that rich basachi is not on it because here's the thing if they lose last night i don't know if rich basachi is handed a pink slip as much as it is this that the um the coaching search would begin and that basachi would have an opportunity as we've talked about um along with Bradley and Cable and Olsen to stay along with it. Now, yes, new head coaches bring their own regime, but he the interim tag may be just removed and he goes back to special teams coach and then they go looking for a head coach. That's, you know, just, just like these other teams are doing with the Dolphins, the Bears, the Vikings, right? They're looking for coaches, but the rest of the coaching said they, the whole staff's not gone. A GM, a coach here, coach there. Uh, that's where I think. Yeah, you asked a great question on social media, whether it was last night or this morning. I don't know when I saw it, but you posed the question, would John Gruden have gotten this done? And I'm not so sure he would have, and I think that's one of the things with Rich Basaccia that people really need to put a feather in his cap. You remember Josh Jacobs, uh, after Gruden was gone, I think it was the next game, it talked about the, um, the, the freakout factor that was happening on the sidelines in the past with yes. John Gruden wasn't there anymore. And listen, down the stretch the last couple of seasons, when they got out to good starts, they crumbled. This time around, they were on the verge of crumbling. They didn't. That has to do – and that has to – you have to give Basaccia credit for that, that they held together. They played incredibly tight games. These are games that they weren't winning in the past. This isn't a, a simply a flip of the coin. Basaccia got the job done. There's so many freaking heroes in this thing too, Willie, for you, Great. because it's tough to pick the one hero. Who who was the biggest hero of the day yesterday? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind it was Josh Jacobs. No doubt in my mind. If you look at what he did in the first half, which were hardcore short yardage, blue collar yards to pick up, but what he did over the second half and to end up in triple figures, a career high, and the fact that Somebody asked him about his ribs and, and that, you know, does he just ignore it? He says, you don't ignore rib pain. I've had cracked ribs. I don't know about you, but he's spot on. You feel it when you breathe. So can you imagine just sneezing, coughing, uh, blowing snot rockets on the turf, whatever it may be, everything that you do when you have sore ribs, cracked ribs, bruised ribs, you feel it. Can you imagine getting hit by 250-pound defenders? Every time you're touching the ball, getting tackled by two, three, four guys. Um, and I think that the rushing game – look at Derek Carr's game. He led the offense. He was the captain. But he didn't have an outstanding quarterback game like Justin Herbert did as far as the yards were concerned, um, the statistics are concerned. He came up with some big throws. His receivers came up with some big catches. But Josh Jacobs was the one. Carlson's clutch. Right, kick those field goals, kicks the game winner. Yes, but I think Josh Jacobs deserves more praise than anybody. That's just my opinion in terms of the work that he put in over the course of that game. He was amazing, and his impact on the game was amazing. You know, it's funny when people analyze football games; they get caught as kind of prisoners of the moment, and even like in a five-minute block of a football game, they don't analyze what led to that five-minute block and what led to what was going on in overtime. There's no denying that Josh Jacobs wearing down the Chargers defense, yeah. beat them up down the stretch, and they were gassed very late in the game. The other hero of the day, 
was Daniel Carson, who I, I got to admit, when the news came down that they had extended Carlson and made him like the fourth highest paid kicker, third highest paid kicker in the NFL, and you know, you combine it with A.J. Cole, I was kind of laughing at it. I'm like, oh, boy, organization's all proud about spending lots of money on their kickers. Boy, was I wrong because it paid off because if that guy doesn't make as many kicks as he did yesterday and throughout the season, again, they're not in the playoffs. And while kickers are often footnotes in the history of the NFL, frankly, if you look back, you know, at what's the greatest dynasty of the last 20 years, Willie, right? The New England yeah. Patriots. Right. Uh, between Vinatieri especially and Goskowski, if yep. those guys aren't clutch time after yep. time after time, we're, I mean, Tom Brady has a whole different legacy. And, you know, the same goes here for Derek Carr. Derek Carr played a good game yesterday. We'll get into Carr later on and some of the clutch plays that he came up with. But without Daniel Carlson, and, the, you know, the last two were close, but he made them. He freaking made them. And you saw during the game, you know, how quirky kicking can be. And the Chargers have been beat up by kickers in recent history. Um, that was one of the downfalls of Anthony Lynn, man. You remember way back in the day, uh, when Lynn was just starting, young Wei Koo was a kicker with the Chargers, and, man, he couldn't freaking make a field goal to save his life, and uh, they got off to a bad start that season. So Carlson making kicks was a gigantic part of the day yesterday. And remember, Dustin Hopkins missed one. Yeah, and it was a bit, It was a major part of the season for the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, what this guy did, I mean – that was the sixth time that the Las Vegas Raiders won on the last play of the game. And Incredible. five of those, five of those were on Carlson's leg. One was in the opening game, the uh car to Zay Jones walk-off touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens. The rest of those walk-offs were on Carlson's foot, Carlson's leg. So you're right. He earned his pay. He proved it. And you know, uh, the one thing <laughs> is they go for that two-point conversion and they fail, and then it kind of comes back. Now, not that it it would have made a difference because the Chargers would have been down 16 instead of 15, and the way that they closed that game, they could have, you know, it, it's it's you can't say that, well, they wouldn't have made two two-point conversions. You don't know that, and they could have done it, but it would have put – him in a difficult position to have to score two touchdowns and the two point converts. Um, but that was a decision that Passaccia made and it played out the way that it did. But um, Carlson's clutch. But again, to go back to your original uh, question, um, Josh Jacobs for me was the number one key last night. And um, you got to give credit to Max Crosby with everything that he did between pressures and hurries and sacks and emotion, and leadership, and what he's continued to do over 18 weeks, 17 games. Um, Max Crosby deserves as much praise. You have Jacobs at number one last night for me on my list as the, the key cog, and everything underneath, Crosby is right there with it. If you're going to say Carlson, you got to say Crosby. you got to say Carr. you got to say Basaccia. And now we've got a great week of hype all set up here. And because Ritz Basaccia was going for the win the entire time, was never going for the tie, they kicked the winning field goal. They're on to Cincinnati, and they're playing in a game against a team they can actually beat. Uh, the Chiefs, they probably would have had no shot. Good job, Basaccia, being aggressive. 
Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at Two. It's a refi rated Nova Home Loans with interest rates at all time lows. Now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Jacob sprinting, cuts, battles. Jackpot, baby! Just Jacobs behind Sutton Smith. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Another one of the big moments for Josh Jacobs. The Raiders are in the playoffs. The drought is over. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Ari is in our Finley Toyota studios. Quick update on uh, UNLV basketball. UNLV is playing tomorrow. I'm not sure what the confusion is. Um, press availability a little while ago, Kevin Kruger said that, uh, listen, they don't have all their players. He doesn't know how many they're going to have. Uh, he mentioned some guys may have to play 40 minutes, Willie, but COVID ran through the entire program pretty much from top to bottom with UNLV, and he said uh, they'll have the minimum amount of players. They don't anticipate players going back in after they've cleared COVID protocol, but New Mexico's in town tomorrow, but it could be a very shorthanded running Rebel team that is out there and a team that, well, they should beat if they had the full complement of players. So this is the test with COVID. And as much as people hate to hear it, it is going to be a theme throughout this show in talking about what just happened the last two weeks in the National Football League and what may happen in the playoffs for teams that didn't have big issues down the stretch. It's it's definitely looming. There's no doubt about that. And I think it affected some of the Chargers yesterday because we mentioned the gas tank of the defense. In overtime, when Josh Jacobs really got going, as you're watching the game, and I know, Willie, you were at the stadium watching the game, so you can get to hear all of what Chris Collinsworth was saying, but uh, I thought it was clear that there were some fatigue issues, and Collinsworth mentioned it, on the side of the Chargers with their receivers. Because they made big plays on fourth down, but, man, they had a lot of drops. Um, and I'll tell you the other thing. You mentioned you know, one of the MVPs of the day yesterday. We already talked about Jacobs. We'll get into him a little bit more in our big five. We talked about Daniel Carson, who, by the way, how about we, we give these numbers out if people haven't seen them? This guy for the Raiders is now 15 of 16 on field goals for Las Vegas in the final two minutes of regulation and overtime. This year, he became the third kicker to make 40 field goals in a single season. That goes back 80 years. 40 of 43 which is only bested by Neil Rackers, who went 40 of 42. Dave Akers had 44. He missed eight that year. This dude attempted 43 field goals, missed three, and even better, in a place, Willie, where we talk about the Raiders haven't exactly been proficient at the Al winning games. He's never missed a field goal there. Is it 35 in a row? Is that right? 34 in a row? Something like that. Incredible. He's he's uh, worth every penny that they signed him for. And, 
you know, he's a guy that if the Raiders can continually just drive into territory, because there was a certain point, right, that they they were content. They it, I think we, they they gotten inside the forty uh, or inside the fifty, but in between the forty and fifty, <clears throat> and we just looked at each other. Paul Gutierrez and I looked at each other. So, well, he's in range. They're in range, so now they can just kind of pound away at that defensive line. And then Josh Jacobs, we have the timeout thing, and then, but Josh pounds a couple of runs in and gets him even closer. But it's uh, it's going to be a very uh, it's going to be a rarity when this dude misses. If he misses something, you know, you're kind of going to scratch your temple because it's it's. I mean, nothing's a sure thing, but he's as close as you're going to get to it. My lord, last night's game also served as another coming out party for players on both sides. I think a lot of people around the country know Justin Herbert. I don't think a lot of people around the country really know Austin Eckler and he had his moments. But for anyone out there who didn't appreciate Max Crosby, his sack numbers may not be on the same level as, say, uh, Joey Bosa or TJ Watt. But you can't deny that guy last night, Crosby, played like the best defensive end in football. He altered. How many plays did he alter? For the Chargers, I mean, if Herbert just gets to stand back and throw the ball all around the field, um, it's probably a bludgeoning. Herbert had to move off his spot. How many freaking times? How many times do you watch a game, Willie, where you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch the right tackle go against this defensive end. Like, I'm going to keep my eye on the overall play, but this is so entertaining watching this dude try to compete with Max Crosby. I got to watch it. Yeah, six tackles, two sacks for 18 yards, four quarterback hits, three tackles for loss, three passes deflected. It felt like he had like 27 pressures. He didn't, but felt like he had had so many quarterback pressures. He wound up finishing the year first in the National Football League with 101 quarterback pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Yeah. No, and he's – He's been the number one edge rusher. I mean, on Pro Football Focus, he's been atop that for a majority of the season. I want to say that he may have dipped one or two weeks and to, to uh, as far as the grades are concerned. Uh, but he has been that. And, you know, it's funny is the person that said this at the beginning of the season, the one person that called him out the beginning of the this entire season and said, we are going to be the number one bookends the, the top edge rushing unit. We are going to be the best tandem is Yannick Ngakwe. He's been saying is like a lot of people around the league. They're like, oh, we, you know, I've, I've heard of this guy Crosby, but I'm sure, you know, the first time he saw him, he was like, oh boy, this guy's awesome. I'm glad to be playing across from him. Yeah. And you have to credit, you know, you have to credit um, Max Crosby's diligence toward his off the field issues. Starting his, with his, his, his sobriety changed everything, took him to another yeah. level. Yeah, and he uh the story I did on him, you know, he he credited his girlfriend from, from college, Rachel Washburn, just said, you know, if it wasn't for her, sort of, you know, um a a lot of um significant others that sort of step in when you're either a celebrity or or an athlete, you know, they they have their own ways of doing so. Some say, "Hey, you know, it's our relationship, or it's this, or sisters this." And he said that she had a way with him that reminded him of his greatness and the potential that he had to become a better athlete and where his future was, and reminded him of his goals. So it started, you know, 
in his early in his or midway through his college career, and it carried in. So the diligence he put toward his offseason this past year um, in the weight room with his conditioning, working extra, and then you add Gus Bradley, and then you add the veterans that have joined this team, and you add that C to his jersey in terms of him being named one of the captains. I mean, that meant a lot to him as well, you know, in being where he was drafted, fourth-round draft pick. So a lot of the off-the-field, you know, work that he did for his mental health issues, his addiction, his, his, you know, his alcoholism, um, and just his his overall work ethic toward his body and his his craft is why we're talking about him today and why he did what he did. Darius Phylon, also a monster game. Bad news today, though. We find out that he probably does have a serious knee injury. Rich Passaccia is saying he's not going to be available for the Bengals game. Yeah, no, he's done for the year um, from um, from what we're hearing. Too bad, too, because he was having a fantastic game. His contributions last night were, uh, you know, he he had had uh, three tackles, one assisted, four total. He also had a tackle for loss, pass deflection, and he he had some hurries in there, quarterback hurries. In, in well, terms and Willie, he made he he made the play that people talked about for the rest of the game, and we'll talk about pretty much the entire offseason when they talk about Brandon Staley, and that's going for you know in the short fourth down at your own eighteen yard line. Yeah, uh, they, they might have a chance to convert that again. Yeah. I this is this is the one problem with Staley. I don't mind him going for fourth downs. It is a bit risky, uh, even by the numbers, to go for it. You know that deep in your own territory, but it's play selection. It's play selection and execution, and uh, you know running Austin Eckler up up the middle to me isn't the greatest play selection. And if you can't execute, and if Darius Phylon destroys your interior lineman, then the whole yeah. play blew up, and and Phylon came up with one of the biggest plays of the game because I, I don't know that it shifted momentum, but I'm guessing for a little bit the Chargers were a, a bit reeling from a confidence standpoint. Well, at that point, what's crazy is at that point, uh, you know, I had my story somewhat written because at halftime at the beginning of the third quarter i started constructing the you know the first half of what took place so my initial story at the buzzer could go online and when that play took place i wrote specifically it didn't end up in my story though and i'm, I'm looking at it right now following a failed 51 yard field goal attempt by dustin hopkins the most critical play of the game fell into Chargers coach Brandon Staley's hands as he decided to go forward on fourth and one midway through the third quarter on the Chargers' own 18 yard line and going on, Darius Phylon and Roderick Teamer stuffed running back Austin Eckler. That didn't end up in the story because, as it turned out, it wasn't. It, I mean, it was the most critical play of that moment because Herbert pulls off, you know, and has a fantastic game. You know, if there's anybody that you feel for in that game, it's got to be that dude. But at that moment, through that time, holding a 15 point lead at a certain point, that was the key that sort of and and the missed field goal, you know, was the first thing, but that. Fourth down stop was huge. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. If you remember, we ran the ball early. They didn't call timeout, so we thought probably they're doing the same thing. So we thought if we could have a run in there that possibly could get us in field goal position to win it, we were going to do that, and that's what we did. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Oh, there it is. There it is. Rich Passaccia just said it. You heard it. 
He was playing for the tie. Oh, wait, he never actually said that? Ridiculous. He never said it. And for all those people last night, and that includes Dave Coke, and we're going to talk to Dave in about an hour and 15 minutes, who were like, Versace said it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And I'll say right now, if Rich Basaccia was playing for a tie to play the Chiefs, then he probably shouldn't be coaching against the Bengals this week. That would have been a horrendous decision. They get an opportunity now to go against the Bengals team that they played heads up for three quarters. They folded a bit and flopped in losing 32-13 to as they got blown out in the fourth quarter. Keep in mind, they're also playing a Bengals team, Willie, that just had a bunch of players miss this last game because of COVID. And, Willie, you had COVID, right? Oh, yeah. I, I know others who've had COVID. Uh, it, it, in a lot of cases, it doesn't. the effects don't go away in four days. Ask the Colts. So this he entertaining was- this whole topic that Rich Basaccia was playing for a tie or that Derek Carr – who honestly doesn't even know what he's saying after the game to Michelle Tafoya and never never finished his answer about, oh, it changed our strategy. You know, once they called the timeout, it changed our strategy. Uh, Tafoya didn't have a follow-up. Uh, we never got it clearly from Basaccia that if they had an attempt, a, a 57-yarder that they wouldn't have attempted, that they would have gone for the tie. He never said that. For us to be entertaining this still – is one of the dumber things ever. And I'm, I'm sorry, I just do not believe that this coaching staff is dumb enough to play for an opportunity to face the Chiefs versus taking a slight risk and going for a win and getting a chance to play the Bengals. It's night and day. The opponent in this case is night and day. They lost in the fourth quarter against the Bengals. They lost 89-23. They were outgained by 299 yards in two games against the Chiefs. No one would play for the opportunity to play the Chiefs instead of the Bengals. No one. The re- let's let's jump to Derek Carr's comment uh, to Michelle Tafoya when he said, it, "Yes, it changed our mindset." You know why it changed their mindset? Because it gave Josh Jacobs probably a little time to breathe and rest his ribs, even if it was for a, a minute, you know, you figure however long the timeout was, whatever, but you know, he had been running and gassed. These were two teams that were both gassed on both sides of the ball, but I'm guessing that the mindset just meant with the play calling and how they were going to set Carlson up for the field goal. It did not change the mind that, Oh, let's not go for the top. If, how could it possibly change if you are already dead set on going for the tie? Then just go for the tie. You're, that did not change the mindset from tie to win. It's the most ridiculous thing that I have seen on social media from fans. The outpouring of just ridiculousness and whining that you actually think a team is going for a tie, that there's a gentleman's agreement is beyond me it was it was absurd it was a stupid narrative going into the game and it picked up steam throughout and then collinsworth and al michaels were throwing gas on the fire it was dumb from the beginning teams play to win 
Uh, by the way, if you are a an anti you know smart new age analytics coach, then you should hate anyone playing for a tie instead of playing for a win. Please stop. And I'm, I'm telling this. This is what it comes down to, and this is what I what I noticed all day on social media. What I noticed today as well, and we've seen it throughout the season with John Harbaugh and with Staley. When things don't go right with new age football decisions, there's an old guard that gets all pissed off. But so much of that is as people get older, we feel weaker. We feel like we're not keeping up with the kids. We can't admit that there are new ideas. We're not open to reading and learning as much as we should be. So there's a weakness on the part of older people. And then you also you have a world on social media now where there are instant stars who've been in the media for all of five minutes, and they may last all of five years, who I truly believe they watch the NFL and they're like, I could do this. I'm smarter than this guy. You're sitting at home on your couch. You're making $5 an hour. You're questioning NFL coaches on philosophy. Listen, Joe Judge, whatever he was doing yesterday, that was weird, right? There were, there's some weird stuff. Like, coaches are not beyond questioning. But this, you know, this guy's stupid. Or I, I forget, there was some comment over the weekend or right before the weekend talking about cowardly decisions. It's a Damn football game. Coward. We all like to puff out our chest. Now, all of a sudden, we're all tough guys sitting at home in our PJs with almost no earning power, and we're going to sit there and talk about people who actually played the game, coached the game, deal with the players. Cut it out. Jesus, between you old folks and the folks who are just simply jealous, like, I'm smarter than them. You're not. All right, and that doesn't mean that Brandon Staley going for it on fourth down from his own 18 was a great decision. It wasn't wonderful. All right? But I love what, you know, Mina Kimes was saying. It Like, everyone started to get so wrapped up in this friggin' tie thing that down the stretch it's like, oh, they got to go for the tie. No, they didn't. It was facing the Chiefs or the Bengals. That is the easiest decision ever. Come on. And when Basachi was asked at the press conference, you know, did you, did it cross your mind? And they said they thought about it. Maybe he wasn't lying that, well, of course things cross your mind. That doesn't mean there's a difference between thinking about something, like right. it crosses your mind, and contemplating doing it. There's a big difference between the two. If it crosses mind, like at some point during a timeout going, I can't believe that it's tied. Can you imagine if it's tied? Can you imagine if this? Can you like that's crossing your mind? So if you if you if you ask the question, they said, did you think about it? Did you this? He didn't. He said we were going to do this. We were going to go for it. He never said that. He may have said it crossed his mind, whatever the the whatever it may have been. But uh, to even think that a team, an NFL team, and you said it best, is if. If they even thought about going for uh, 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 going for the tie and not going for the win, then Rich Versace shouldn't even be considered for, for a full-time NFL job. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company. We're being robbed 
as NFL fans that we don't get to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs. Who robbed us? Uh, the the guy with the – well, you know who it was? The dude with the little small hat. hat. Little hat. <laughs> little hat right there that has no clue. It's what he's done all year. Yeah, exactly. The, this guy coaches like he's a Division three coach that nobody cares about. It's hard not to make uh, the playoffs with a franchise quarterback. But congratulations, you did it. How he faces his football team after this one is 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 incredible to me. Oh boy, he's ready to chew that song up, huh? All over San Diego. For those who still root for the Chargers, it's Midas Manos. And in L.A., but it didn't work out. Raiders are on to the playoffs. Chargers are out. Rex Ryan is right to not make the playoffs with Justin Herbert is quite the accomplishment. Uh, where Rex Ryan is wrong is that uh, you're kind of a clown, Rex. You can't get a job in the NFL now because you are so friggin' lazy in Buffalo. So while throwing barbs at a... I think a good young coach, you sound like a fool, stumbling and freaking stammering. I, I don't know. I don't get I, – I mean, I do get what the deal is with Rex Ryan. I think there's a bit of jealousy, and I think there's a lot of jealousy with the, with Staley. Didn't have the greatest game yesterday, made some mistakes this year. Rich Hornberger was a player for the Chargers, covers the Chargers scene, is in San Diego. Now doing the morning show, right, Rich? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on 6 a.m. every day, so a little bit of an adjustment. That 4 a.m. alarm – Boy, I'll tell you, that's going to take about a month or two to get used to. But I'm um, I'm happy to be doing morning drive. I'm happy to be on with you today. Yeah, I was going to say, especially if uh, Sunday Night Football is going to go to like 10 o'clock at night, right? <laughs> yeah, and plus I have a, a TV assignment Sunday nights after oh. the NBC games. So so I was, I was burning the candle at both ends uh, between last night and this morning. All right, so give me your take on what Rex Ryan is saying there, that Brandon Staley just doesn't take his NFL coaching gig from a strategy standpoint seriously enough uh look i i think he takes it seriously i think he has a, a process and uh, i don't necessarily think that process has guided him toward making the best decisions for his football team always but i'll give you the perspective of a former offensive lineman moment in, in every game uh or or every season certainly multiple times where you know you're faced with a fourth down conversion or a potential conversion in plus territory, meaning you're on your opponent's side of the field, and all of a sudden you see your field goal kicker coming on the field, and you got a foot. You know what I mean? Like a QB sneak will do it. You know, an inside run will do it. And all of a sudden your field goal kicker, who's been you know hosing himself down with Gatorade and talking about his golf swing on the sideline, is coming onto the field to to help you win this football game. It's, it's a little deflating because it means that your offensive coordinator or your head coach, they don't have the trust in you that you can get 12 inches of gridiron and, and extend this drive. It's an annoyance. So when, when, from a player perspective, when a coach has faith in his offense and he wants to go for it on fourth downs, that builds confidence. It builds trust. It, it, creates, it creates a culture. However... It's a double-sided sword because if you gamble too many times and you go for it on fourth and one from your own 18, trailing by three early in the third quarter, and everybody looks at each other and goes, what are we doing? Like, that's not good either because then those type of plays turn around and score at least three points for your opponent, maybe more, and, and it puts you behind the eight ball even further. So, it's a balance, and, and he's a rookie head coach, and I think he has to learn that balance and make some better decisions. 
I saw a longtime NFL exec, uh, Mike Lombardi, say that uh, he didn't work for an owner who wouldn't be firing Staley today. I think that's an over exaggeration. I, I, I really do. I, I, I maybe maybe in honestly, I, I don't know. You know, the path he walked, maybe that's true. Maybe the owners he worked for would pull the trigger on that. I'll I'll say this about Justin Herbert. Uh he had a sensational rookie year. He's working with a brand new coaching staff. Um and, and he's on to his second regime in as many years. You really wanna you really wanna have this guy work with a, another coach with with a with another staff, I just, I just think you gotta look. It's sort of like you, you, you gotta, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know that that old expression. Like, you, you gotta look at the whole picture. Uh, Justin Herbert is in one of those formative uh, seasons, coming into his third season after two having two sensational uh, uh, years in the NFL so far. I, I think it's important to establish some stability for him have similar faces and voices around the building, and I think that's going to help him a lot more than switching up a head coach for making a poor decision and knocking your team out of the postseason. Look, I mean, it puts him on a, on warning. It puts him on a much shorter leash. I'm talking about Brandon Staley back to the head coach than he would have been um, had they made the postseason on a tie. But uh, but I don't think I don't think the solution is moving on from the head coach. So that being said, Rich, the uh, <clears throat> with the some of the, the things that need to be addressed with the offseason comes along with guys like Williams and Cook and re-signing. I mean, this is realistically, altogether, this roster, the coaching staff, the, the key components are young and growing together. Don't you think it's important to to sort of wrap those guys up and keep them together because they're they're learning to grow, they're learning together, they're growing together, they're maturing together. And to disrupt any of that, Herbert's going to have to learn nuances of or the nuances of new guys. Um, how important are they really focusing in on keeping this unit together? I think it would be critical. I, Tom Telesco, just to bring you inside the general manager's thought, thought process, is first and foremost he wants to build in the draft. He wants to retain players who he feels become those type of players you're talking about, core players. Uh, when when their contracts come up and, and try to get them extended before they hit free agency, and then obviously add in free agency. So yeah, you may see a potential where Mike Williams has earned himself more money than the Chargers can really afford for his talent, and maybe they'll have to add a piece in the draft, or maybe they'll have to buy a cheaper free agent offense. But 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 that's part of football, and that's part of cap management, and that's part of making sure that those core players are intact but you're adding those additional players around those core players that, that can sort of build the whole, the whole picture. You know, obviously Herbert is, is going to be a longstanding piece to this puzzle, and Austin Eckler feels like he's one of those. And, you know, you got some young players on the defensive side of the ball who you're interested in keeping, and definitely up front on the offensive line, a guy like Rashawn Slater, who had arguably one of the best rookie seasons a tackle's had in recent memory. There are core players, but there are going to be those guys you're going to have to let walk for multiple reasons, if not money is the only reason or the most important reason, the business part of the sport. Um, but what you say is true, and there's a lot of merit to it, and I think Tom Telesco has done a good job overall of doing that throughout his time as general manager. One of the spots they really need to improve on is the offensive line. They've been unhealthy a lot of season. It's because they try to add free agents with injury histories, and they oftentimes don't finish seasons for them. 
And that's exactly what happened at uh, right tackle, which we'll get into. Rich Ornberger played offensive line in the National Football League, played for the Chargers, does radio with Extra 1360 in San Diego. You hear him on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas, doing the national stuff, especially on Sundays with Steve Hartman as they go around the NFL. Um, man, there are a lot of MVPs on the Raiders' side throughout the season and in yesterday's game. I mean, you can't impact a game much more from defensive end than Max Crosby did. Yeah, yeah, Max. Max has turned himself into a special player, and he's he's gone through a lot of adversity. You know, in some ways, you know, Max Crosby's story is is uh, it's a microcosm of the Raiders organization as a whole. You know, yeah. sort of through the through the fires, it's, it's tempered his will and it's made him better for it. And I think the Raiders, there's there's a lot of that resilience that you see, and that story is repeated with guys like Darren Waller. And, uh, and and they've got good leadership in that locker room. A lot of credit to Derek Carr for keeping the wheels on. But, yeah, just to comment on Max Crosby, in my estimation, I watch a lot of Raiders football. That's the best game he's ever played. It's arguably the most important game he's ever played in. And, um, and, and if I'm going to grade any singular player as, as far as having the biggest impact, it would be Max Crosby because they had to change so much about what they were doing offensively to handle him. They were getting Storm Norton, the right tackle, help left and right with chip help from the backs and the tight ends, which, as you know, that can really disturb route timing. But you got to get him help because he just could not block him one-on-one. And the Raiders uh, did a nice job of, of, of setting him up to be working on that right side one-on-one against Norton. And it was a favorable matchup all game long, and Max – Max really showed up. He, he put on his hard hat. He brought his pale lunch, and, and you know, he, he grinded it out for 60 minutes plus. Rich Ornberger's with us, uh, extra 1360 in San Diego. Go ahead, Willie. Fire away. I know you got a question. Rich, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the things that the factors in, this, in, in last night's game also, heading into the game, the Chargers had forced 10 turnovers in their previous six Raiders had committed 12 in their last four. But last night, Las Vegas forced two turnovers. The Chargers got none. And it's, it's it just wore that Chargers defense down. And, you know, uh, Steve and I just got done talking about how the Raiders defense was gassed. But the Chargers defense was just as gassed because they couldn't get off the field. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, that final drive of regulation, I mean, that that's rare stuff to see in the NFL. And, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The Chargers, the Chargers receivers. I'm sure their hamstrings feel like they're falling off the bone today, uh, <laughs> because that was 19 plays, 83 yards over two minutes game time. But that was like 25 minutes real time. It was like incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, penalty, incomplete pass, incomplete convert. You know, it was wild, and you all watched it. Um, but to your point about generating turnovers and making things happen, I think the Raiders came in with a better game plan. You know, their their idea and their identity has been to establish the run game and, and play keep away a little bit. And, and you know, they had to elevate that because the, the Chargers can score and they had those two long drives in the first half and the Raiders had to find a way to answer and they did. And then they had obviously the lead going into the fourth and Justin Herbert and, and that group of receivers really closed the gap. He threw something like 60-plus passes last night. It was just ridiculous how many he attempted. I'm talking about Herbert. But it was just really efficient by the Raiders' offense. They knew what they had to do. They, they knew that they wanted to play a physical brand of football, and they knew they don't want to lean 
too heavily on Derek Carr, and they never wavered. And I thought it was a great strategy. And, and you could tell, I mean, look, the Chargers' run defense has been pitiful all season long. And Brandon Staley is a, a defensive mastermind from the Rams a year ago. And everybody heralded him for how he had that defense playing. He had a lot of talent on that defense. When you have Aaron Donald up front, you got Jalen Ramsey in the back end. You could get a lot of things done. So maybe some of that was personnel. You know, the Johnnies and Joes instead of the X's and O's. We'll find out as he has to fix this problem because the Chargers were a bad run defense this season, and they might have been a worse third-down defense this season. They couldn't keep anyone off the field. And you saw those symptoms and issues last night against the Raiders. And, oh, by the way, Raiders played uh, mistake-free football in terms of turnovers, so that helped a lot. Rich, we know you're a busy guy. Get some rest. Good luck with the morning show, and thanks for the time. Yeah, you bet. Good being on with you, Steve. Willie, have a good one. There he is, Rich Warnberger, morning host now at Extra 1360, played in the league, and uh, you know, just told us there the criticism on Staley, you know, somewhat warranted, but let's dial it down with the he should be fired. Three o'clock hours on the way, football frenzy coming up. We'll go through what happened on Black Monday, uh, some ridiculous retentions, uh, some firings I don't love, and certainly a shocking one coming out of Miami. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.